0: Welcome back guys to the show and thank you for choosing Make Money Make Sense as your podcast of the day. This week's guest is Mike Murowski. Mike has syndicated over 4,000 apartment units. He's also the author of the book Exit Plan and that's going to be a little bit about what we're talking about today is what kind of exit plan you should have when you're purchasing these assets. And we also talk about how he built up to 4,000 units and how everything played out with that. So, Hope you guys enjoy this week's episode. And we'll see you next week. Also, feel free to stop over to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating and a review. It always does help out the show. Thanks, guys. All right, guys. Welcome back to another episode of Make Money Make Sense. I'm your host, Dante Belmonte. Today's guest is Mike Morawski. Mike is the author of Exit Plan. Um, it is a best-selling book over on Amazon. He sent me a copy, really enjoyed it myself. Mike, thank you for that and welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thanks Dante, I appreciate that. And thanks for uh, showing the book, that was a great uh, promo.
0: (laughs) Yeah, oh yeah, it's a great book. I think a lot of people should get it if they're looking to get into the multifamily space and also looking to kind of understand from start and to end where the exit plan is, what they should be doing with their investment. Um, A lot of people today, you know, they just think of how they're going to get in the acquisitions, how they're going to get started, raise the capital, but they don't really think about what they're doing on the exit side of things, which has a lot to do with the investment returns and the IRR of the project. So love that. But Mike, thanks again for coming on the show. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to our audience?
1: Yeah, you know, and what's really interesting is I I just did a a little social media video clip this morning and I, I talked about, you know, one of the questions that I always like to ask people is. Hey, what, do, what would you do different back then when you got started that you know today? And you kind of alluded to it. You know, hey, multifamily is a great space, right? I don't want multifamily a lot sooner. So, you know, my history, I, I've i been in the real estate space for about 30 years. I, I, I um, started out as a residential sales agent selling um, single family properties, I built a team. We sold over 125 homes a year. 2005, I saw the market starting to shift and soften a little bit, and knew that I wouldn't keep that same production up. So I decided to go in the apartment business. And what I always say, Dante, is, is I didn't wake up one morning and just say, "Hey, I'm going to go in the apartment business." It's something that I thought about for years. I really visualized myself in that business. I really um, looked at it. I was in the construction business and did a lot of work for Inland Real Estate. Inland's probably one of the largest REITs in the world today. And I've watched them and the model is simple, right? You raise private equity, you marry it with a great real estate deal, you stay in the middle, and as long as everything goes well, everybody makes money. So I uh, went in the private equity business, I raised $18 million in 30 months, bought $60 million worth of real estate, owned 4,000 units in five different states, Built a property management division where we were managing about seventy five hundred units, and um, today I'm in the coaching and training space. Um,
0: so, awesome! I love it. Well, again, thank you for coming on the show. Obviously, you have a lot of knowledge in the space, being that you built you you sold real estate, you built a company with over four thousand units in five different states, like you said, and built a property management company. That's you know not something to be taken lightly. Uh, talk to us a little bit about how you got to that portfolio of 4,000 units when you did have possession of that? What did that look like going up to that, building that business? Yeah,
1: um, we grew it really rapidly. Um, I think if you look back and whenever in our lives, we always can look back and say, hey, you know, this was a mistake. I should have done things differently or tried this differently. And we can learn from those, right, moving forward. But one of the mistakes I made in business was that we grew that way too fast. We didn't take mm. time to stabilize. I had to tell you in 2007, I closed 17 uh, complexes. Wow. And was about 2,700 units. And we did not take the time to stabilize them and and go to the next one. So uh, it got kind of ugly um, down the road. But I, I first want to talk about how I got to that point, which was I, I had um, – I started out at a database of about 250 people and started to build to that database and email them about investing in real estate. So in my office on Tuesday and Thursday night, I would do a seminar and put 20 new faces every Tuesday, every Thursday night in the conference room and teach about multifamily investing. Mm
0: -hmm. And I'd
1: say, oh, by the way, here's a deal we're doing. And I raised, that's how I raised all that money. And people referred you to people and we did the uh, local area real estate investor groups and you know talked about property management and we would present at those groups and we would have a table or a booth uh, at the larger groups. Um, back then, Donald Trump used to do these real estate seminars and he did right. them in LA, New York, Dallas, and Chicago. And I did four of them in, in two years. It was the best $100,000 I ever spent because I raised probably $10 million as a result of, of those events. Wow! So, you know, we built this database of 7,000 people that we just continued to market, continued to market. And that's how we were uh, able to, to get the, um, uh, the quickness of that business growing. And back then people were looking for opportunity. And You know, quite similar to how it is today raising money, but uh, back then people were just throwing money at you. So, like I said, you know, we grew really fast, uh, brought on a lot of product, thought we were stabilizing things along the way, or I thought my team was, and we weren't. And it caused a lot of uneasiness uh, as the market started to implode come, you know, 2008 when we hit the wall as a country.
0: Right. Right. So would you say you kind of almost spread yourself a little bit too thin, you started acquiring assets too quickly and it wasn't really focusing on each asset, but moving on to the next one, was that kind of what was going on there?
1: Yeah, uh, for sure. You, you know, it'd be like you buy 187 units and know that you have to go in and, and do all this CapEx work and all this reengineering of management and staff and, you know, just remarketing in the area, letting the stakeholders in the neighborhood know that that's under new ownership. And you were thinking that, that, that somebody's executing the plan and they're not. And, and this is something that I think is really key for people is that if you have a business plan, make sure it's getting executed properly. It always looks great on paper, right? But I'm, that it's the execution that either makes it good or makes it bad.
0: Right, right. Okay. Now, when you say you were going in, and you were looking to stabilize these properties, stabilize the units in the in the uh, properties and the apartment complexes. What did that stabilization look like? What did it consist of? What was the plan you had that you wanted to do to these properties?
1: Yeah, sure. So, so in most uh, properties that we bought, they were all value add, and I would I one of my standards buying standards was always that I would buy something that was. Um, occupied, mid 70s percent occupied. So I like that vacancy factor because I could go in and put a lot of CapEx money into them. So our plan always was that we would go in, we would redo units, kitchens, bathrooms, floor coverings, you know, hardware doors, you know, maybe six, seven thousand dollars a unit, turn around and put new tenants in re-engineer the property and how it sits in the marketplace. So when you think that somebody's working a plan that you've spent time with your CFO putting together and building and your, your operations guy in the company is not uh, following through or is overwhelmed and not telling anybody, you know, I mean, communication is such a big thing, Dante, right? We all need to be transparent with each other and, and communicate. Because if we don't, you lose sight of what's really
0: where you're trying to go. Right. Okay. So now that you're here, you know, in 2007, you're closing on 17 complexes, 2,700 units. And unfortunately, the communication wasn't there with the what seems like not the asset manager, but the project manager for this. Um, What was the result of that?
1: Yeah, so um, that's a great question. Um, you know, 2007, we closed all those properties, really struggled stabilizing stuff along the way. 2008 came and I'm trying to close a deal in, in Cincinnati and um, I can't get the deal closed. It's not funding and it's not funding because my company's not sending the um, money, the $500,000 that we need for our down payment and uh, for, the, for the purchase. And uh, I get my partner on the phone and, and he says, hey, I don't know how to tell you this. When you have a partner that tells you, hey, I don't know how to tell you this, you know, Yikes, something, right. something bad's coming. Right. So uh, I, I finally discovered that he moved money from a escrow account into a business operations account. And we were, you know, I was really clear with him when we went into business a few years or, you know, in 2005 that you never do that. Right. And he broke the golden rule, right, and moved that money. And um, as a result of that, trust got broken, uh, operations started to go awry. And then um, about a year later, I'm sitting uh, with my CFO. We're watching uh, the news at lunch, and they're carrying boxes out of Lehman Brothers. Wow. And the yeah. world is imploding, You know, and I looked at my CFO and I said, we're in trouble, aren't we? And I didn't say it that nicely. He goes, yeah, we're in big trouble. And um, it wasn't much longer, but we hit a wall and our company imploded. So, you know, I owned uh, 4,000 units. We were managing and operating another 3,500 and we just, we turned upside down and imploded. And uh, ultimately, I, I got charged with uh, wire fraud and mail fraud charges and sentenced to uh, 10 years in federal prison as a result of th- the turmoil that, that happened. And what happened in, in a nutshell, Dante, is that I had companies that were, I had 38 different companies, and we had some that were performing really well and some that weren't. So I thought, well, let's take money from the good companies uh, and move them to the bad companies, keep them afloat, keep everybody afloat, try right, to write right. the ship, you know, and it, that's fine, you know, and that's something business owners do all the time. But yeah. here's the problem. I didn't tell my investors, so I didn't disclose it. And because I didn't disclose it, I broke the law. And, right. Um, uh, I'm not proud of it. And it was a tough situation, but a lot of lessons were learned from it. So, you know, uh, I, I could give you 30 different lessons that I learned just in, in, on the business operation side of what not to do, you know, about the stabilization, don't over leverage, you know, I was way over leveraged mm. uh, 10 and 15% down payment, uh, where I had, you know, um, 90 and 85% and 90% loan to value where I should have been Sixty-five to seventy-five percent loan-to-value—you know—would help right. a lot. We didn't—we uh, didn't raise enough money. We—we we weren't able to do cash calls with our investors because of the way our documents were written. Mm. Uh, so, so we we're in big trouble. Um, and tried to save everybody. Now, I'd been through recessions in the past. I had seen real estate market make a correction in the past, but never did I see the real estate market make a forty percent correction
0: or last 10 months. right, right, Um, And as a result of that, got in trouble. Well, Mike, first off, I want to say thank you for sharing that because that does take a lot of guts to come out live and and share something like that. I know that's something you and I discussed in private and now you you feel that you can discuss it with people. Um, And I know that won't define you because I know individuals like Paul Moore. Paul Moore is huge in the real estate space and he's huge with bigger pockets and he speaks super highly of you. That's how we get introduced and Anyone I talk to about you or with you, they speak super highly of you. Um, Unfortunately, you know, it it kind of was a perfect storm to what your partner did and where the market was at and what happened, but you learned a lot and you you have been very successful and you've definitely brought that back up. So going sideline from that, again, appreciate you sharing that with us. Uh, Something we touched on before you raised upwards of $10 million or more, like you said, um, how are you getting connected with these investors? I know you said you were hosting these, you know, Tuesday, Thursday meetings in your conference room. How are you getting bodies in the warm bodies in the room? How are you getting them in, in front of you to, to speak to, um, with them?
1: That's a great question. Cause this was long before social media. Exactly. You know, today, <laughs> hey, you just go out on social media and people call you and meet you and, and talk to you, right? You know, uh, back then it was just email. And all I did was email. And like I said, I went and did those uh, events and we collected business cards and we called and talked to people. It was mm-hmm. about, it, this is a relationship business Dante and nothing any different today. It, it, or it, There's nothing today that's any different than it was back then. It's about building a relationship. It's about communicating with the people in your network, and your sphere of influence, who uh, either want to invest passively or who mm-hmm. know people who want to invest passively. So I... Uh, you know what? I tell people all the time, Hey, get out of your shell, yeah. you know, get out of your shell and, and break out and go meet people. Hey, you know, I, I'd like to go back and just kind of visit uh, part of this conversation a little bit. Cause I, I don't want to just leave it like, Oh my God, he went to prison. Right. Right. Um, right. And I, I, if you don't mind, I'd like to please just, go right oh, ahead. Go right I'm ahead. Close some gaps. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um so yes, I did go to prison and I spent seven and a half years in in federal prison. But what I want to say is prison is very dark. It's evil. There's a lot of terrible things that go on there. And you have a choice when you go to prison and your choice is that you can either do the time or let the time do you. And if you make a decision to do the time, it can turn around. I went, I lost absolutely everything and thought it was really bad when I went to prison. But when I got there, my wife decided to leave and uh, kids decided not to talk to me. And, you know, it was it got even worse. Right. Right. So, um while I was there, I decided that I was going to work on myself. You know, nothing changes in our life, Dante, until we change. Mm-hmm. So I made a decision to really work on me. I went to college. I got a bachelor's degree in theology. I wrote two books, two home study courses, real estate investing in multifamily. And, um, you know, that's where exit plan came from and property management. I wrote a course on ethics, taught real estate, property management and ethics for four and a half years in prison. I was on a community outreach program. I went into the community, told my story 40 times to small business owners and the local area colleges. I just finished co-authoring a paper on ethics that got published in the business journal of ethics. I co-authored that with a professor from the university of Minnesota. That's out on my website. If anybody wants to go and download that. And um, I, you know, I did some other things, right. I came home in the best shape of my life, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And, and I say that because I made those choices. And I think that on a daily basis, we're all faced with choices. We're all faced with choices that are either gonna improve us or improve the people around us or they're not. And by us making the right choice and the smart choice, it helps us do better things with our life and mm. to give back with our life. And And that's what, what this is about. You know, hopefully I have a message today. You know what, listen, I made some bad business decisions. I made some bad choices because my back was against the wall. I felt like um, I needed to make these choices and I was under pressure, didn't get the right advice. And if anybody's sitting on the fence and they're faced with a choice in their life, you know what, go talk to somebody, don't hold it in. Um, So, you know, I think it's really important that people be transparent and be willing to be vulnerable about it.
0: Yeah, no. Uh, Mike, that's a great, great word. And again, I really appreciate you sharing that with us. Um, m- moving on towards what, what we're looking at for the multifamily. So the two biggest things is capital and deals. Everyone's looking for them in syndicating or multifamily properties. We talked about the capital aspect of what you're doing. What about for deals? I, obviously, that's changed a little bit today. Um, you do some coaching, so I'm sure you know some uh, strategies for that. But Back when you were buying properties, what was the strategy you had for finding deals? And today, what advice would you give to someone that's looking to uh, find some deals as well for multifamily?
1: Yeah, you know, again, I talk about relationships, Dante. You know, I had some great relationships with some brokers. Um, I had a a guy in my office that sourced deals and we looked at deals together. And um, most of the deals I found happened to come from brokers that I had relationships with. Uh, I had one broker in Chicago that I worked continuously with, and he always brought me some really good stuff. And then I had brokers that were in Texas or in Indiana that could bring some really good off-market stuff. And that's what I like to look at was um, some really good off-market deals and opportunities. and, And that's what Uh, relationships with these brokers will develop. You know, one of the things I teach in my coaching program is how to source off market deals and and their strategies. You know, it's just like when I was selling real estate as a real estate agent, I would go after listings. Well, Mm -hmm. those same processes work today to find off market deals, deals that the investor can buy, whether they're multifamily or small multifamily, or whether they're you know, single family properties, but those processes and systems all work, which are, you know, you can do direct mail, you can get, do a phone call campaign, you can go knock doors. You know what, when you're building relationships, there's all kinds of events, all kinds of places that you can go to and, you know, spend your time to meet people. And you got to ask the question, you know, Dante, there's a very famous book written that's got a very famous quote in it that says, Knock and it shall be open unto you. Ask and you shall receive. Yep. And that is um, uh, so critically true because the more we ask people, "Hey, who do you know who wants to invest? Who do you know who's got properties
0: for sale?" The more answers you're going to get to those questions. Yeah. All right. Awesome. And what are you doing differently in your business that you think people should be imp- implementing in their, their business? So something that. Not everyone is doing, but you're finding a lot of success with, is it a marketing strategy? What do you have for that?
1: In my business today, Mm -hmm. is that what you're asking? Yeah. In my business today, I think it's more marketing. I, I look at business today. I look at my company today and I think everybody should look at their company today as a marketing company. You need to be a marketing company wrapped in whatever you're wrapped in. So I'm a marketing company wrapped in a coaching and training blanket, you know, Uh, If you're a property manager, you should be a property management company that or a a marketing company wrapped in a property management blanket, a a syndicator, the same thing, because with social media today and the means to go out there and get your name out, advertise, you're going to build that tribe around you, those people around you that are going to come as a direct result of your message that you put out there and what you continue to build out there.
0: Right. Okay. And and let's touch on the book a little bit. So you wrote this book exit plan. Why'd you write it and what is it telling people? Yeah,
1: great question. So, um, I wrote it because I felt empty. So I spent hundreds of thousands of dollars over the years on coaching and training and seminars, reading books, listening to tapes, which today are podcasts, right? And all this information's out there for free, uh, as well as some really good, uh, things that you can go to seminars and, and uh, you know pay for, it, right? right. Um, there's some really great trainers out there and they've learned some really good things. But here's the problem. You learn how to find a deal, how to get in a deal, how to buy a deal, how to operate a deal, but we never learn how to get out. And I always felt that there's you know that missing element because here, here's the old cliche, right? You make money in real estate when you buy the deal but you don't realize the gain till you get out. So yep. how do you get out? How do you know? Shouldn't you plan for that upfront? So one of, the, one of the business planning strategies is to um, take a look at your 10 year run on a deal. You put an apartment complex together, you run a 10 year spread on it. There's a sweet spot all the time, somewhere between four and eight years where you're gonna hit your best profitability. So, you know, shouldn't you do something at that point? Shouldn't there be some type of a capital event? Just exit planning doesn't mean that you're getting out of a deal or giving up control. There's other ways to exit a deal. So exit plan is your complete guide to multifamily investing and why you need an exit plan before you buy. So I think everybody before they ever get to the closing table needs to have that exit plan in place because you need to know when you're going to. Uh, see your returns and your profit on the deal.
0: So, being that you said exit plan doesn't mean you're, you know, disposing of and getting rid of control of the property. There's other forms of the exit plan. Let's talk about that a little bit. So, what are those forms? How can you exit the property? Sure.
1: So, I think that uh, you can refinance a property and pull okay. capital out, and you know, rerun the deal. Then, so if I have a ten-year run on the deal. And I say, okay, year seven, I can do a capital event. And from year seven, if I do another run, what's it look like after that? You'd be amazed if you run spreads like that and you look at it over time where that profitability falls. Because in that second 10 year uh, spread, there might be two profitable points. So you, you just need to take a look at it. Uh, but you can um, recapitalize a deal, pull cash out, you can bring a partner in. Uh, you know there's different ways that you don't have to give up control like
0: that. Okay, awesome. So we said uh, selling the property obviously is the most common exit plan strategy, refinancing. Uh, was there anything else on there that you really like to talk about or are those two of the main ones?
1: Those are two of the main ones. I'll leave the rest for the book and people okay. can go, go download the book for free. And, uh, you know, if they like eBooks, uh, they can go grab it for free. If you're like me and you want a book that you can page through and write in the margin and dog ear, the corners, you know, then, uh, that one you can get on my website also, but you can go download the, the ebook for free.
0: So. Okay. Awesome. Um, anything else you wanted to touch on, on the book or your story before we head in the next section of the show? If there is, I encourage you to, to go for it.
1: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm good. Do you have any other questions or, you know, and I know that you really like the book because the text I got from you in the morning got back <laughs> on the airplane was, I can't believe how good this is. Yeah. You know, we, we were talking about uh, that property that I talked about in the book that I bought. You know, I bought mm-hmm. that thing at a 13 cap and today that's probably wow. a, a five cap deal, right? Right. Um, and it's just interesting how the market is different over time. Right. And what happened?
0: Well, yeah. Cause I mean, I, I brought the book with me on a flight when I was going to see some properties and I, I text you and I said, Mike, listen, like I read it. I love it. But there's this one part that just blows my mind. You were telling me how you were buying properties for, you know, 30, 40, 50,000 a unit. And today I can't find anything under 90,000 a unit. And you mentioned, uh, you know, double digit cap rates was that when you were investing pre 2007 or how'd that look? And you were like, Well, well, that's just it. You know, we we were purchasing properties at double digit cap rates and those price per units. And today, you know, you can only dream of buying a property at 10 cap with under 90 K a unit, you know? Right.
1: Right. And, you know, the funny thing is that deal, that particular deal I bought and that was creative financing, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, here's a seller and, and I talk to people about this all the time. You know, some of the best deals out there is if you can find a seller that's in pain, and solve the seller's pain, right? Those are yep. the best deals that we can buy. And that particular deal, you know, the guy had just refinanced the deal, pulled 2 million capital out of the property, was gonna hold it for another 10, uh, 12 years, goes home and his dad's got you know, stage four cancer and decides, hey, I- I'm done with this real estate thing and he's started to sell off his portfolio. The problem was he had a prepayment penalty on this deal. Mm. And he would, it would have cost him another $700,000 if he would have sold it. He would have given back so much of his capital that he just grabbed. So uh, he was open to creating this other structure.
0: Let's talk about that real quick. So for the listeners that don't understand, you know, this seller had a prepayment penalty on their property. So that means if they were selling the property before uh, the X prepayment expires or the maturity date, they have to pay, like Mike said, a $700,000 cost. Um, what Mike did here was he assumed the loan. So it was, it was an assumption. So that means he got qualified with the lender that currently had the uh, mortgage on the property. And he basically took over for that seller. Mike, is that correct?
1: Well, what we did was we did a quiet assumption. Okay. Okay. So we didn't go to the lender uh, because of, they had just done the refinance and the lender would have wanted the prepayment tax. Okay. Well, so he wanted that. Would have wanted that money. And how those prepayment penalties are are set up is they're usually five years. I've seen them longer, but you know your average is five years, and it's right. it starts at five percent. So if you sell it in the first year, you pay five percent, all the way down the scale to one percent in the fifth year. So um, that's what
0: that's where I was saving that seller that money, right? Now, would you say that's a step down assumption where the percentage comes down each year for that prepayment? Yes, that's what okay. I yeah. Yep. So again, for those that are listening, the step down uh, prepayment is basically, you know, year one, there's a 5% prepayment penalty. Uh, year two could be 5%, year three, four, four, and then three, three, two, two, one, 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 one hours, mm-hmm. and then down to zero, depending on how they have it structured and how the terms are laid out for you. Right. Awesome. Well, let's uh, switch over to the next section of the show. I call the Curious Cues. We're going to throw some questions at you that we ask every guest and we'll get your answer for them. Okay, great. First question is favorite podcast you enjoy listening to?
1: Favorite podcast I enjoy listening to? Yes. God, you know, I have had some really great guests on mine, but I have to say that uh, I like Abel Pacheco's uh, podcast, Five Talents.
0: Okay, all right. Um, What about your favorite book you enjoy reading?
1: best book I ever read is the Bible okay uh, but uh, after that would be uh, Gary Keller's book the realist millionaire real estate investor it's classic it, it's a it's a basic you know Bible how to invest in real estate strategy structure techniques systems and and terminology it's a great book
0: wonderful yeah it's a classic biggest hurdle in real estate you've had to overcome
1: sure. coming out of prison. Yeah. Getting back on my feet and, um, building a new, building a new business and build, building a new company. Listen, everything else is, uh, uh you know, doesn't matter.
0: <laughs> yeah. At that point. Yeah. Favorite non real estate related hobby you enjoy doing? Golf. golf.
1: Golf. Favorite golf place is, uh, Pelican Hill. In, okay. Uh, on the uh, PC off uh, the PCH and, uh, Newport beach.
0: There you go. I like it. I know you mentioned that in the book too. You mentioned yeah. some, sometimes you're golfing and whatnot. I love that. Uh, I, I like to golf. I'm just not very good at it. It's just, uh, it's enjoyable. I didn't <laughs> say I was good. Dante. <laughs> and, uh, newbie advice. So what advice would you be giving to someone that's looking to uh, get started or just uh, continue their journey in real estate?
1: Yeah. Uh, very great question. So one of the things that I wish I would have done sooner was get in multifamily sooner. The economies of scale and multifamily are really uh, important to understand. And I spent way too much time on the single family side, uh, the investment side and single family. I should have went into multifamily a lot sooner. Uh, Even uh, just, you know, for the brand new investor, go buy a three unit, you know, house hack a three unit or a four unit instead of a, uh, you know, single family house. Okay.
0: Awesome. Do that later for your family. Right, yeah, no, I love it. And Mike, if someone wants to get in touch with you, if they want to get coached by you or anything at all, get a copy of the book. Where can they reach out to you, or where can they find a copy of that book?
1: Yeah, great, uh, Dante. Anybody who wants to go get a copy of Exit Plan is uh, can go to my website at mycoreintentions.com uh, forward slash Exit Plan and download the book for free. And if you want to get a hold of me, you can send me an email at mike at mycoreintentions.com.
0: All right, awesome. Well, Mike, like I said, thank you for taking the time to come on the show and uh, we look forward to chatting with you again soon.
1: Thanks, Dante. appreciate you having me on.
0: Thanks for listening. We hope you were able to take some value away from today's episode. For more information or to connect with Dante, visit victorycapgroup.com. See you next week.